Welcome inside the Legends Lounge, where baseball VIPs are hanging out and talking about their life in the game. All right, let's bring on Jeremy Guthrie into the Legends Lounge this week. Alana, someone who is full of personality, really great speaker, and he is going to be on some Royals broadcasts. Makes a ton of sense. The thing with him is just he's such a world traveler, which we'll get into that. He's fit for being a bigger part of the game. It's just you got to be able to do a little where in the world is Jeremy Guthrie to actually get him involved with that because he loves traveling. Yes, and I believe that he has pitched on a, a variety of not only different cities and states and countries, but continents as well. So we will talk to him about that. But I'm, I'm not even that impressed about uh, all of the miles that he's racking up. I'm more impressed about his opportunity to uh, pitch for the Savannah Bananas. Yes, which we're very excited to see how he does with that. Um, Jeremy Guthrie is fit for a team and and, and whatever you want to call it, like an exhibition like that (laughs) to be able to be a part of a game like that. I'm sure he's learning some dance moves. We'll let him get into it right now. Jeremy Guthrie inside the lounge. Thirteen seasons in the bigs, including some very strong years with Baltimore and Kansas City. He was in the 2014 World Series with KC and also picked up a ring the year after. Also looking at some of his years, really strong seasons like with Baltimore 07-08. When he moved on from Colorado to the Royals, I was looking, I'm an ERA plus guy. So 132 was the mark for the second half of the season when he was with KC in 2012. That's a really good mark. It's 32% above league average. And here's the deal. His off-field journey is just as stacked as what he did during his playing days. He's at the real Jay Guts on social. Jeremy Guthrie in the lounge. How's life, man? Good to see you. We work together. It's been a few years now, but on some games in the past. Oh, it's been a blast. Yeah, to work with you in the two games we've done. And Alana, when I went over to uh, over to Colorado, I think she's as well-respected in the industry. So to see the both of you together here in the lounge is a real treat for me. Thanks for having me. Wow. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate you saying that. You know, I was talking to Scott earlier before you jumped on just about um, how it's hard to to track you down because you're such a world traveler. Tell us more about the uh, the passion for traveling and, and kind of how that all how that all came about, considering when you're in baseball, you don't have a second to think. And then when you're not playing baseball, you have nothing but time. Well, you know, sometimes they say that you travel so much that you just want to stop doing it. I think the reverse was the case for me. The more I did it, the more I enjoyed it. So Clearly, it's a passion that I, you know, have deep down inside of me. The first time I really left the country, um, I left as a as a 18 year old to go play a baseball tournament in, in Toronto. But really, the first time I left was at 19. I lived in Spain for two years, and I think since that moment, just appreciating people, culture, history, uh, and any number of other things that go along with travel, just really gave me the bug. So the the baseball career gave me every opportunity in the world to go around the world. And even since then, I've, I've tried to seize those, those chances. Where did you go on your mission? I, so I, yeah, I was a missionary in Spain uh, from 1998 to 2000. And I lived in the northern third of the country, which is if you haven't traveled Europe, um, everyone wants to go to Italy, Paris, and these other fantastic places. But uh, I will always throw in northern Spain or any part of Spain, for that matter, if you're going to Europe. It's an absolute must. Okay, so in baseball, there's a lot of name dropping. Can you do country dropping 
for us? Like, cause there yeah. are, it's not just like you said, you're saying some of the uh, popular European destinations, like you can really give us a good scope of the world yeah. and where you've been. Go for it. Oh, this is a great, great question. So I have either played or instructed baseball in the following countries. I'll leave a couple out, but I'll start, I'll start in Europe and work my way east, west, whatever direction you want to call that eventually. So I've been to uh, Czech Republic. And by the way, they qualified for the WBC. Fantastic federation over there. A lot of young talent. They got a couple guys that played college baseball, one at South Carolina, one of their infielders. Uh, really exciting player. Played some minor league ball as well. Uh, been to Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, France, Spain, Italy, Nigeria, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Brazil, Cuba, Dominican, Mexico, Canada, Japan, Taiwan, China, and Australia. Wow. Those are the ones that come to my mind. I probably missed one or two, but those are places I've either played the game of baseball or instructed it. What's your favorite? Oh, they're, they're all so unique. And they all have such a story. And that's something that I hope, and maybe we'll get into that later. I just, I love learning of the stories. I just spent a week in Italy with uh, some, some people from the Major League Baseball Players Alumni Association, as well as others from the ISG, the International Sports Group, and then those from the Federation over there in, in Italy. And, you know, you meet kids that have a love of baseball and you ask them why. And it always relates back to their parents. So in Italy, with the rich tradition there during World War II, expats began to play the game of baseball and it just grew. And I think, you know, you learn that in the 80s and the 90s, these games over in the first division, if you'll call it, in Italy, they'd have upwards of 10, 15,000 fans come to a game that featured maybe one or two Americans or foreign players and then the rest were Italians. And that's just the, the level of love that baseball has worldwide. So to pick one is impossible. They're all just so unique. Um, you know, the, the, the Asian countries offer something totally different than the Latin American countries, which offer a very something extremely different than European countries. I think I appreciate the European side just because it really feels a world away from baseball. And I know they compete against, uh, you know, football slash soccer mm -hmm. and basketball, which are just dominant sports over there. And then all the Olympic sports that really draw in the money in the interest of fans. So to know that there's baseball going on in all of these uh, European countries, it gets me excited. It, it really is something fun to follow and, and want to, you know, understand more. And most of this travel is post playing career, obviously, but um, World Baseball Classic was a big part of what you did back in 2009. I know you mentioned it, and obviously, tis the season. So, uh, what do you remember from that? Because there were some, there were some pretty good names when I went through the roster that you got to hang out with and uh, play ball with. Yes, not none less important than Chris Ionetta. Yes, you know, represents yes. my catcher that I threw to. That's um, right. You know, I was driving at the time. I lived in Utah. And I was driving to Park City for some event, and I got a phone call from USA Baseball uh, expressing their interest and in inviting me to be one of the, I think there were four of us. It was Jake Peavy, Ted Lilly, and Roy mm. Oswald, and myself yeah. were the, the four starting pitchers. And so I, I would have never expected such a, an opportunity. I was had two years of Major League service at that point in time, both with Baltimore, both great seasons. And so... Um, you know, that honor just to be invited and then to show up and see future Hall of Famers, Derek Jeter, uh, Chipper Jones, and, and I suppose others potentially down the road that were on that team. 
uh, David Wright, Dustin Pedroia were some that stand out. Brian McCann was just a, an experience I'll never forget. I think, you know, one of my greatest baseball moments came in that walk-off victory against Puerto Rico to advance to the final in Los Angeles. And we were down in Miami and, you know, we were against, we were against the wall. I think JC Romero was in there trying to close us out. And, uh, <laughs> Captain America gets the, uh, the walk-off hit. And to see, I mean, for me, what stands out is Derek Jeter celebrating like he had won an additional World Series title. Like he was, he was this kid amongst uh, amongst our team, as all of us were. But you know, you look at Derek a little bit differently, I think, because of where he came from and and what he had accomplished even to that point in two thousand and nine, which was pre World Series uh, number what five for him. So maybe I'm counting wrong, but nonetheless, um, it just that that's what sticks out to me. It sticks out to me to be around. Hall of Famers that love the game and then to see us celebrate as though we had won a World Series. And that was just to advance to the final. We didn't win. Dice came on Suzaka, carved us up in Los, in Los yeah. Angeles a bit, but uh, it was incredible. You know, that was in 2009, as you mentioned, that's the last time the Yankees won the World Series, which is hard to even imagine. Um, but I want to take you to three years after that, 2012. And the reason I bring this up is because you spent half the season, of course, in Colorado, and then you went to the Kansas City Royals, where it was almost like you had a rebirth. But I had a conversation with Ryan Spielborgs the other day about the brunt um, that the the players that, that not only pitched there, but the Rockies having to deal with the the stigma of playing in Coors Field. His whole thing was that Todd Helton is a Hall of Famer. So having pitched there, and we know the nightmare that is Coors Field as a pitcher, do you think that it is unfair, Jeremy, that even the position players there have this uphill battle when it comes to whether or not their numbers are, are legit? Such a challenging conversation. I think it's very valuable and important to go look at the splits. So I don't know Todd's splits. I know that he's one of my favorite teammates of all time. I know that Todd Helton welcomed in the Peyton Manning, Archie Manning family into our clubhouse mid-game one time, and I came in to get a snack, and all of a sudden it's Archie and Peyton sitting in the in the clubhouse having a burger mid-game. That's what I <laughs> that's what I think about Todd Helton is just a, a great teammate and a friend, and then creating memories. Um, it all it, Todd Helton is one of the best hitters to ever play our game, and so if there is that argument, I think it's extremely valuable to go into the splits. Um, if they tell a major story, then I think it's a factor. You know, I think it's reasonable to consider that as one of the factors, but I don't think it should automatically create a significant uphill battle unless the numbers kind of scream at you and say, listen, you know, there's something to consider here. And even then, it is what it is. Um, they still have to hit the ball. Uh, being at a high altitude does not make your barrel bigger. It does not make the baseball bigger. Um, it doesn't make it necessarily go well, maybe it does faster. I don't know. Is, is, bat, is exit velo in Colorado exit higher? Exit velo higher at, oh, because of the altitude? That I don't know. Scott don't would know, know more about yeah. that than me. Yeah, it seems like the exit velo would stay the same. Just the carry of the ball once it's in yes. there would, would probably be altered. But Todd Helton is, is a Hall of Famer uh, in my book. Um, but for those who have that discussion, I think it's important to go to the numbers. So it was hard. Like if you go to my splits, was I, was I a 9.7 ERA guy? I hope not. I mean, <laughs> my last game of my career proved that maybe I was, but, but nonetheless, like, I think, I don't remember my splits exactly, but I, I think they were something like nine and a half ERA in Colorado and a 3.3 on the road. And that was in 80 innings in Colorado. And so I wasn't good at home. And, and I started off with a lot of confidence. I remember my first game, I was facing Lincecum. And I, it may have been opening day for the Rockies at home opening our home opener, but it may not have. And I don't remember. And I think we were ahead five, nothing. 
And I was up to bat, bottom of the second, bases loaded with one out against Lincecum. And he was on the ropes. And I hit into a double play, ended the inning. And then I went up and gave up like six runs the next half of the inning. And so it just like was, I just got off to such a bad start and it just never, ever seemed to right the ship. So there are some factors, but I never sat there throwing a pitch thinking, wow, that looks completely different. I, I just, I couldn't explain it. It just was so frustrating because I wanted to, I wanted to knock that monkey off my back yeah. and the other pitcher's back and I just couldn't shake him. Like he just was latched on and every <sighs> pitch I threw, he was laughing because most of those pitches ended up in the upper deck out and right field <laughs> near the purple seat. So. <laughs> 5,280 feet. Okay. Well you had a six, three, five at course field, but then the following. Oh, that's all was. Yeah, so six three five, and then you went to Kansas City. And it was three one six. So, all right, you mentioned it. I did not bring it up. You mentioned it. Your last game of the year, and I know that you are the last game of your career. I know that you and Scott have laughed about this publicly. So, I'm not the I'm not the first one to open the wound. Tell we, us about and that. And we've cried. Tell us, tell us about the game that you were like basically said. All right, this is my. I'm done. This is the this is the sign that I'm going to go ahead and hang up the cleats. Tell us about that. You know, I think the background for people that care is is really interesting. Um, 15 was not a great year for me. We won the World Series, but personally, I was eight and eight, and I never really got on track. It was this constant battle of inconsistency. And so I wasn't on the playoff roster. And my wife looked at me when we won the World Series and kind of like, you know, are we done? I feel like now's a great time for you to be done. Like our family's growing, our kids are in an age. I think my daughter at the time might have been 13, and we had two younger boys. And so it was like, you know, now's the time. And I just felt like, it wasn't the time I still wanted to pitch. I still, I mean, wanted to play the game and I wanted to come back and prove my, my value and my ability to get people out. So I pitched in 16. I ended up in the minor leagues the whole year with poor numbers. So now I'm, you know, a year bad in the big leagues, a year in the minor leagues with no real hope. And my agent tells me no one has a job offer for you going into 17, but I had been evaluated on some unique things, uh, uh, measurements such as spin rate, uh, <laughs> some other data that I had never heard of in the minor leagues because I kind of preceded all that information. So I'm in the minor leagues for the pod race and I'm getting feedback like you're not going to get called up because your spin rate's too low. You're not going to get called up because of this, that, and the other. And none of it has to do with ERA or getting people out. And so I was really intrigued. I said, I want to understand this language. I'm not going out like this is kind of what <laughs> I, I took the stance. I'm not going out based off of evaluations that I don't even understand. So I went to driveline. I played, I threw bullpens up at driveline, learned the language as best I could in two months. And then I, I want one more crack at this. So I went to Australia, put into action some of the, the advice that they gave me at driveline. It worked. I went to, uh, I was in Kansas City uh, for an event in January and a scout comes up to me for the Nationals and says, who are you pitching for this year, Jeremy? And I said, I don't have a team. My agent says, no one will even give me a minor league deal. He said, you'll have one tomorrow. Hmm. So I get an offer the next day, much to the surprise of my agent, and uh, I sign a split deal. You know, coming much to, to the surprise of your agent. Oh, much to the <laughs> I think they may have said something to the effect of "We'll see." With kind of like this, you know, I don't think you're you're going to get a job offer. I've already tried. Wow, what what a what a vote of confidence from your own agency. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I went to uh, to camp and Dusty Baker. I remember the first time I threw. Sorry, this is a really long way of getting you back to 135 fine, fine. ERA, but it's a podcast. We got all day. <laughs> a 135 ERA deserves all the explanation you can get. Okay. Amen. Amen. So I go and Dusty and, and and Mike Maddox, Mad Dog, tell me, you know, why don't you go throw your first game on field 750 and take 
they I had to like take a flight to the minor league field that was we were in West Palm Beach, the new facility, but they said, go there and tell us how it goes. I said, what does that mean? Like no yeah. one's coming. They said, well, we have 16 other pitchers that we're going to watch. Just tell us how it goes. So I literally <laughs> went to field 12 or whatever it was. And I pitched and I actually felt good. So I came back and like, hey, it went really well. No one got any home runs. I struck out a couple minor leaguers and so be it. <laughs> and so I think I got one more outing like that. And again, I don't think either of them were able to make it, but someone came and, and it was a good outing, maybe inning, maybe two. And we opened up West Palm Beach Stadium, uh, whatever it's called. I know that's not the same name of it, but we're sharing it with the Astros. They're going to have the very first, the inaugural game. And for some reason, I think the guy that was going to start it had was banged up that day and so they said Guthrie you'll start the game and so I went from field 12 to opening day at the the new West Palm Beach facility and I pitched two innings I threw like 13 pitches struck out two guys and my stuff was really good and so all of a sudden I'm on the radar so it's me and Joe Nathan we later signed Joe Blanton we got Matt Albers all these guys we're all non-roster invites I'm wearing number 80 um i put an instagram i put an instagram post up i said i always would love to wear number 80 in the big leagues said no my said no (laughs) baseball player ever but but i I just pitched phenomenal i think i gave up one run all of spring at most two and um what really got the job and this this is insider information this is fun here dusty would come in and you can ask dusty and, and we're so grateful that he you know he's got this world series ring and and he well deserved and just solidified his hall of fame career but he wanted to beat the st louis cardinals so bad and i don't know all the history here i just know he came in one day after we lost to him and said these guys why can't we beat them we got to lock it in we got to beat the cardinals so he treated the cardinals this is like i don't know if this is public but he treated the cardinals like our games against them were do or die wow so in I spring training not. Yes, it didn't matter. He just wanted to be at the Cardinals all the time. And so for facing him in spring training, that's the time he wants to beat him. So he comes in and he's like giving us a rah-rah on how we need to play better against the Cardinals. And being so close, we played them many times, three, four, five times. They gave me a start against the Cardinals towards the end of spring. And I'm certain without a doubt this had to factor into me making the team. I think I went five hitless to begin the game against the Cardinals. We actually ended up losing the game like three to one, three to two. We didn't win the game, even though I was hitless through five. And uh, and I, I think he was so excited about that outing. I think that solidified my spot on a roster. And so I went from competing for the bullpen job and literally like probably number 27 on the depth chart is tucked oh. away in the corner pitching on field 500 <laughs> to making the roster. And they said, you're going to pitch game three. Wow. And so I went from competing for the bullpen, my whole, like what, what kind of pushed me out of Kansas city and in, in a bad 16 is I wanted to be a starter mm-hmm. and I wanted to find that opportunity. So I took it with the Rangers because they said, you'll come in and compete for a, a starting role. And I wouldn't relinquish that dream. In 17, now fast forward, I just want to be a bullpen pitcher. Like, okay, like I'll accept my role. I'll try to do long relief and maybe this can help me, you know, stay in the stay in the big leagues all year, maybe get 10 years of service, which I fell just a little bit short of. Oh man. And so now they're making now they say you're gonna be a starter, which I wasn't as excited about, but I was always a starter, so I can do it. And so that takes us to April 8th, 2017, my birthday. I'm coming oh, off that's Chris's I'm, birthday. Oh, there yes, I knew there that. There you have I it. Knew that. King Felix as well, I believe. Ah, okay. And maybe Adrian Beltre. Straight, straight legends on that day. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's, it's a holiday birthday. So I go in, in in Philadelphia, game three of the season, and I have a ton of confidence. Um, I'm thinking to myself, 
I just proved myself right. I proved my wife wrong. Like I got three, four more years in the tank. I'm pumping good velo. I got movement. I got driveline telling me how to pitch better. I, I just shocked the world and made the team. And uh, that dream lasted all of like maybe two pitches. I had a man on second, six pitches in, I had a run scored. And 47 pitches later, I think I had 10 runs scored. And a, a beautiful sparkling 135 ERA walked oh. off the mound. I knew that was my 10th life. If I was a cat, I had gotten an extra one somehow. Um, and so walking off the mound, clearly that was that was my indication from the baseball world, from God, <laughs> that this this dream was over. And it's it's uh, maybe it was the only way I would have accepted it. I needed to make it back. I think in my mind, I needed to prove myself right in some ways, not necessarily prove anyone else wrong. But uh, and then the crash and burn was just so harsh. That I don't I couldn't come up with a reason to keep pitching. I think that was enough to say thank you very much, baseball, for this opportunity. Thank you, Indians, Rockies, Orioles, Royals, Nationals. And I can move on very content with my my time playing professional baseball. The story is oh, great, though. The yeah. journey to get to that point, you know, it's not like they just said, hey, you know, everyone's hurt. Let's just grab Guthrie off the street. Like you, you got there back there with very good reason. They're throwing you number 80 into the, the back of the uh, spring training, you know, uh, closet, basically. And you emerge as a number three starter for them. So I, I just remember whether it was the next season or, or after that, um, Suddenly you pop up, you're on Facebook baseball with Scotty Cron <laughs> and Cliff Floyd. And, and, and he talked about the story and just said, Hey, you know, very few, obviously with some, you get to a certain point and like, whether, you know, it's your body or results or whatever. And you're like, I just had, I, I had success building up there, like getting back to a point and you're like, I just had one start that just punched me in the face and was like, I can't, you know, like no team's going to bring me back now. Right. Like it was just, it was good, honest vulnerability of like, I just looked at the other side of the story being like, yo, you, you clearly were getting hitters out. I, I'm, I'm the guy, just so you know, I would have been that 31st or 33rd or whatever kind of GM that said, um, yeah, I'll, I'll sign him after that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just watched them all spring training. Screw that start, Jeremy, uh... you know. I, you know, I, I've seen Dusty a couple of times. And I'm, I'm just so grateful. I told him many times that, listen, like for you to take a chance, put your, I know you probably put your neck on the line for me and, and a number of other people, you know, Riz and, and Mad Dog to give me that chance. And I said, it just went up in flames. And I'm sure they took, I'm sure they took a little bit of heat for a period of time. And after a couple of days, everyone forgot about it. But, um, you know, I, I'm just, I'm really grateful that I had the chance and, uh, it's it's not a great moment in my career but i think the depth of it what lies beneath is the moment itself clearly is not well your your pitching career is not over <laughs> didn't you just tell me that you're pitching against the savannah bananas yes and now my wife is excited she wants to come to this one say i want to go to all your games against the bananas so uh, how did this Mark come about what is this well, you know, the, the Alumni Association, uh, I, at some point, they must have had a conversation with the Bananas. Uh, this, you know, if you don't know who the Bananas are, go look them up. You'll, you'll love them. And they reached out and said, we're looking for former players. And uh, if you know me, you know, I'm I'm kind of like the Fresno State back in the old days, like the Fresno State will play anybody anywhere. Coach Hill, yeah. I'm the <laughs> Fresno State of, of baseball, all pitcher baseball, anytime, anywhere on this planet. And so I've been getting ready. Uh, March 11th is the big day. I hope I get a couple of innings. I've volunteered for as many as they'll let me throw, but I think they have other pitchers that, you know, want to come in and throw one inning. So 
it's me and a bunch of ragtag retired guys coming back for a, a glory game. But we also play again April 28th and then again September 2nd. So if the body oh. makes it through round one and round two, you'll see me in three games this year. And uh, you're throwing every day, right? Yeah, like rap, rap, Soto had, rap Soto had me at 88.4 miles per hour in a bullpen <laughs> with no hitters, no adrenaline. That was two days ago. Okay. Uh, spin uh spin efficiency had some good spin efficiency had some good <laughs> access and so i'm learning i'm still putting the work in the lingo okay. um, but we'll see the arm hasn't fallen off just yet i have a secret goal i want to hit a 92 in the game i have no mm -hmm. idea if that's possible at 43 years old seven years removed from even really throwing the baseball but mm -hmm. i'm going to give it a whirl so mm -hmm. if you hit 92 you're getting calls again man if the spin rate's good you pitch it up in the zone you might that, get calls. That's the I'm key. 92 is not the key. Scott, it's up in the zone. The key is you. Yeah. You got to have the good perceived, uh, vertical rise, which mm. I, yeah. I had a couple of 19 inches, which the, the guy watched like, that's a really good perceived vertical induced vertical rise. I think is the terminology. I love though, that the guy that was watching you is a minor leaguer telling, teaching yeah. you all of this. Well, that, my, that, how the game has changed, huh? They speak the language. They, and, and really, like I said before, the their ability to interpret the information is really powerful. If you can interpret it and apply it, it becomes a very powerful tool. So I'm very, I'm very pro advancement in pitching analytics and the the information that's there to help players. I don't think it's the end all be all, but I do think it's extremely valuable and needs to be used. And so there's a balance. I probably consider myself a mixture, which I think most people want to be. They most everyone wants to be a mixture of you're a coach or a you know, a player or any type of anything to do with baseball, you want to be a mixture. I think that's probably the best, the most reputable and kind of the, it gives you the most uh, platform to stand on. And, and I think I'm definitely in that realm. Yeah, I, I think that you described this to me before we began the show, your theory on how to approach this, especially for youngsters is spot on, right? Because as you mature and you become really a professional with your craft, that's when you can add like whatever you want to call it, nooks and crannies and just like layers um, of information. But, you know, it's not something sure you pick up a note or two here and there, like, but it's more of your basics. Like, yeah, obviously, you know, switch it up your locations and all that. You could tell that to a, a nine-year-old, but nine-year-old shouldn't necessarily be getting um, in-depth scouting reports on exactly, you know, what they should be doing and how they should be throwing the baseball, right? Like have fun yeah. with it if you're good enough and you've got the natural talent, then you can add on. Yeah. That's what I, I always tell young kids that if there's anybody listening, like, listen, can I teach you how to throw a curveball? Probably. Can I teach you how to throw a slider or a changeup? I hope so. You know, depending on hand size and all that and whatnot, but can anyone teach you to throw 96 miles per hour today? No, like I can't teach you a 96 mile hour pitch, but I can show you how to essentially develop it. And so, any young player, I, I think, that wants to be a pitcher, the most valuable thing they can do is throw. Learn their body. Learn mechanics. But when I say mechanics, just learn how to use the energy of your body. Learn how to create uh, the force that, you know, begins down in your legs and transfers yeah. all the way to the hand. Learn that kind of that flow of energy. I'm tripping on the word that it describes that. But, uh, you know, learn that and build arm strength because that's like the kinetic flow. There you go. The kinetic one. Learn how to feel kinetic energy in your body, right? That's what makes you a great athlete. That's what makes you jump higher, run faster. You learn this kinetic uh, use of your muscles. And that's what a player, the more you throw, the more you feel it. I remember when I was young, I just wanted to throw hard. And so I tried to throw hard. And when I tried to throw hard, I could feel that 
didn't feel as hard and you could, your body started to learn and adapt to what movements. And obviously that requires athleticism. Not every kid can do that, but that's how I learned to throw hard. Not because I had a pitching instructor at any point in my life until I was in college and I was 23 years old that I really feel like I was getting instruction that made a huge difference in my pitching, but I just always threw. And so I learned how to throw and I always threw. So I built arm strength. And so I could throw 97, 98 in high school, even though I had no pitching instruction. And then when I got it, oh, try this pitch, try that pitch, try this. And suddenly I could do the things necessary, but I had the maximum velo that my body was capable of having. And obviously every young player can't throw 96, 97, but your best success is going to be able to, is maximizing whatever velocity you do have in that body. I mean, that's pretty incredible to throw 96, 97 in high school. Well, yeah, I mean, not anymore, probably, but back in those days, yeah. you know, now the Josh Beckett, the hundred, right? Yeah, the Josh <laughs> Beckett's of the world that you know you hear about the hundred mile an hour fastballs that, that he threw, and so I, I think I spent my entire senior year in Oregon. I had a great coach, Bill Swart, out, and uh, he cared a lot about us and, and our team. And, um, uh, you know, he pretty much told me my senior year, if you can hit a hundred, I think you'll get drafted in the first round. So I yeah. spent my entire senior year trying to throw a hundred. I got up to 99, according to a couple of radar guns, but um, it wasn't with a ton of execution, but it, it did come out pretty hard. So anyways. But it no, seems like I you've done that. a really good job, though, Jeremy, of uh, we talk about this a lot, Scott and I do with our, our former players that are on this podcast that, you know, there's always such a void to fill when you're done playing. It's like you guys don't know how to fill it. It does. I don't get that sense from you. Like you seem incredibly fulfilled still and that you kind of, you know, you're still participating in it just in a different way. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I think so. I, you know, my wife was a little bit concerned and maybe friends or family, like, you know, what's going to happen when baseball's over. And, uh, I retired on April the 9th in my mind, we're April the 8th in the middle of the first thing I retired in my mind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by April 11th, I was planning trips and planning to do things. And, and she's like, I'm really pleasantly surprised that this is like, you've just moved on. And I think that's, I don't know why that is, but I've been able to move on from things that are great and maybe more importantly, sometimes from things that are not great is, is bottle them up, try to understand them, learn from them and move forward. And so I am very fulfilled. I, we have a, a baby girl that's just going to turn two. And so Aww. we're we're parents all over again with one in college and one that's one years old right now. Get out of wow. here. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, you know, I, I sp we spent three years serving in our church from 18 to 21. And then now the baseball opportunities, there's many more of those um, that are coming our way or coming my way, I guess. And so li life is a great blessing. And I'm, I'm really fortunate to have a positive outlook on it and to be able to kind of enjoy the moments as they come. And I know that's not everyone doesn't have that capability. There's all kinds of challenges with mental illness that, that inhibit that. But I've been really fortunate. And so I'm understanding of, of those that have that struggle and want to help them and and daily kind of express gratitude for the life that I've been blessed with thus far and hope to continue to build. And the sport doesn't go away. Like the sport's still a part of your life, right? I mean, clearly yeah. we're talking about the bananas. You can go in the backyard and play whenever you want. You can travel the world and play with others, teach others how to play the game. I yeah. think what, what happens sometimes with some, and I just obviously don't get that from you. You're a pretty chill guy. It's like, there's this adrenaline junkie part of it right where you're just going from like so much around you that you know someone goes out of that and they maybe don't have as many interests and it's just a really rough um aftermath right from what they've been doing their whole life so it's just not something that it seemed like affected you right like you didn't obviously you enjoyed 
all of that, but you can still go in the backyard and have a great time playing the game versus like, I need to be in a stadium <laughs> packed and feel it all. Mm-hmm. And then come after the game and go, ah, <laughs> you know, there, there's so many different approaches um, for better or for worse. I never identified myself as a major league baseball player. I identified myself as a lot of other things that for me had greater depth and maybe more eternal kind of value than just a baseball player. I was a lot of other things that played baseball. And I Mm. think that's probably part of why the transition was easier and is easier. And that's not to say, I I think that I know a number of teammates that their whole identity is baseball. And, and frankly, they give their all to the game and they give their all to their career. And I respect it and, and appreciate it. And I hoped to do the same thing, but it was all the while with an underlying understanding that although I was giving my all to baseball, I never defined myself only in that realm. And so the successes hopefully were, were experienced with greater humility and the failures were, were experienced with more optimism and ability to move on. And so hopefully they didn't just tear me apart and destroy me. And there were times that were very, very difficult, like in Colorado where my, you know, my agent, uh, you know, was, was there in support of us and listen, like you're pitching for your baseball life. Now you just went from third year arbitration to you're probably not gonna have a big league job next year. And, and mm. thankful to Kansas city, all of a sudden I get traded to Kansas city in a great, a great situation. Uh, a general manager and and uh, an office as well as an on-field staff that really believed in me. And all of a sudden I was able to turn it around. And um, so I just try, I think that's a big key for me personally. I never identified as a baseball player, number one, and that's not those who do, it's not a bad thing, but for me, I think that allows the more, uh, more roundedness of my life to kind of come to the front. Yeah, it seems like you had a more seamless transition, uh, more peaceful transition than most. Yeah, well, yeah, peaceful after April 8th, but yeah. <laughs> what a birthday <laughs> gift, 135. That's <laughs> oh, fantastic, fantastic. Hey, we can't, we can't wait. I was obviously awesome catching up and good to see you. And and we can't wait to see uh, the 92 popping against the bananas. Most importantly, you need to look for the slider with good gyro spin. Gyro uh, spin, okay. (laughs) No, I want to. I want to see some some swords. I want to see some bad swings. You know, like are the bats going to be on fire when when you're trying to hit 92? Like what what do what do you expect when these guys step in the box? Like what is the what is the craziest antic that you're preparing yourself for? Well, I'm just, I'm hoping for some dances. My wife's trying to get me to dance. Like, how do you, how do you get one of these? In fact, she brought up the Savannah Bananas like three days before I was invited to pitch against them. She's like, oh, you got to check this team out. This is like your perfect, like, like scenario. Cause she watched one where they were dancing like the Backstreet Boys or something. And I said, you're right. That is. So I, I don't think I have, I'm trying to think of a few skits that we can do to throw the hitters off, maybe like around the horn, but eventually you throw it to me and I'm already like halfway through my windup. But uh, who knows? I'm, I'm excited to play them. I think they're they're obviously very good players. And so you can't take anything for granted. They're going to they throw the ball down the middle. They're going to smash it somewhere. So. Yeah. Yeah. Watch we'll your see. head. Watch in, that in, noggin. In 17, I played on a uh, retired players team organized by Adam LaRoche. And oh, listen, yeah. to this, listen to this staff. Uh, Roy Oswald, Josh Beckett. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremy Guthrie and Roger Cle- Clemens, I think was his name. Oh, I haven't Clemens. heard of him. Yeah. Clemens. Clemens. Oh, yeah, Cle- oh, Clemens. Okay. Clemens. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that was the rotation. We played hmm. against Summer High School Wood Bat League. And um, 
Frank, I, I hate to say, I think I won the game I pitched. We did lose. We we bowed out of the tournament. We didn't win the tournament. Get out of here. We, yeah, you, you know be what? Kidding me. Beckett pitched a couple of innings, pitched well, and then he decided he wanted to be a hitter more than a pitcher. So he started batting three hole in our lineup, and he actually got a couple of big. I thought you were going to say he just wanted to go have a beer and just like yeah. quit. <laughs> well, he might have wanted that too, but he wanted to swing the bat, so he retired from pitching mid mid tournament and became an exclusive hitter. Unbelievable! But, uh, but you know, Clemens was hitting ninety miles an hour at forty seven years old or however old he was at the time and just just an absolute animal so yeah pretty- now now hitters have to deal with his son coming up that'll be great. yeah that's right isn't that great isn't that that's great? true well jeremy have fun man really good catching up keep the country list flowing too and uh yeah <laughs> we'll add to that list next time we talk absolutely appreciate you guys thank you Thanks, so much jeremy you. you take care Well, as expected, Jeremy Guthrie, an open book, full of stories, good and bad, like talking about uh, his his end to his big league career. That one, that one stood out to me too, Alana, because it's an epic story. I mean, it just wasn't working for him. And it is crazy. It's like, if you can't perform, even if the results weren't exactly matching what the quality of contact was. They were just like not having 10 runs in a game. That's it. Goodbye. I mean, if you're going to go down, you might as well just go down in flames. If you're going to go out, go out really, really badly, really poorly. Now he had a great career. I mean, it is what it is. The game will tell you when you're done. And I think the game was telling Jeremy Guthrie that, you know what you're done, but he, uh, he had a good run. He's still doing some great things, obviously, as we've heard today on the lounge that, you know, he's still highly involved in the game and, and good for him for uh, coming to the dark side, Scott, he's doing uh, some, some of our work, some broadcast work. So good for him. Yep, we're here for him if he needs us, you know, the first time someone sends him a mean tweet about his yeah. broadcasting or some, some or his hair like looks that. bad or he looks, Ugh. you know, he's better looking and uh, on TV than in person or they really thought he was shorter than he is and he's or he's taller than he is or, you know, all of all of the things <laughs> that we've heard before. That's my favorite, though. Oh, you're better looking on TV. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So oh, much. wow. That's so nice. I'm glad oh, that you I'm, said that. Yeah. Like, thank you so much. So in person, not as good, huh? Sweet. Yeah. Something in your brain said, I have to share this. <laughs> good <Ridiculous>. luck, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Hey, let's let's uh, talk about another um, fellow broadcaster in our world for a really long time, a pioneer, a legend. Um, this week in baseball history, uh, March 6th, 2005, Susan Waldman becomes the first female to be a full-time color commentator in the history of the sport. She debuted with, with the legend himself also, John Sterling on CBS 880. It's the flagship home of the New York Yankees. I don't even know if it still is, but um, the former radio host of of FAN um, and and which was the first all sports radio station in the U.S. was also the first female to broadcast on a national baseball telecast, as well as the first to provide local TV Yankees major league play by play. So she really was just absolutely mowing down any kind of barriers that were in her way and saying, "I belong in this game. I can." talk baseball as well as anyone I could handle this role as well as anyone and there's no reason that a female can't do what only males have been had been doing at the time 
And she is still doing it and she's still doing it at a high level. And not only to do what she's doing in a very male dominated field, it is getting better, but we still have a long way to go. She's doing it in New York, which is the hardest place to do anything, as you know, uh, being born and raised there and and having worked there as well. So it is it is something uh, to be applauded. It is something um, to to give her a lot of um, credit and gratitude because I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for, you know, what Susan Waldman and many of the women that have come before me have done. So she's tremendous. That's baseball, Susan. You'll hear your John Sterling say that to her a lot, but she is, she's phenomenal. And not only is she a tremendous award-winning broadcaster, she was just recently inducted into the radio hall of fame with our co our colleague, Chris Russo. And she is a tremendous Broadway actress. She she sings and she performs on, or she used to perform on Broadway. So she is a woman of many talents and phenomenal, always there to answer any questions and has opened the door for countless women, um, you know, to come after her. I'm going to throw on out there based on our comment before funnier in person. That's a compliment. She's pretty funny no on the air. No but doubt. Un- unfiltered Susan Waldman. Like I've, I've been to at least one, if not two events that she hosted hilarious yeah she's great she has a great personality she's obviously incredibly smart again and to do it in new york to do it for probably the number one franchise if not in baseball uh in the world other than you know maybe some some soccer teams but you know what i mean like if if you're if you're working for the yankees that that's a pretty big deal so to be able to do it there um, with grace and class and professionalism um tremendous resume for sure yeah, props to Susan Waldman and figured this was a, a perfect time to point out a story, a story like that as well with uh, International Women's Day on March the 8th. Appreciate y'all for joining us for this one. It was a lot of fun talking to Jeremy Guthrie. We'll see you next week in the lounge. The Legends Lounge Podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at legendslounge at mlbpaa.com. Check out our memorabilia at mlamauthentics.com. Later, Legends. Legends.